Welcome to the Campus Energy and Sustainability Podcast. In each episode, we'll talk with leading campus professionals, thought leaders, engineers, and innovators addressing the unique challenges and opportunities facing higher ed and corporate campuses. Our discussions will range from energy conservation and efficiency to planning and finance, from building science to social science, from energy systems to food systems. We hope you're ready to learn, share, and ultimately accelerate your institution towards solutions. I'm your host, Dave Carlsgott. I'm a principal at Fovia, an energy, carbon, and business planning firm. Scientists talk about collaboration when it comes to research itself, but to have them talk about collaboration when it comes to the tools to support research would be a huge win. We want people who want to be sustainable, who want to help their organization purchase smarter, be able to do so. Right, so we want to empower, in fact, our mission statement is empowering professionals to save money and save the environment. In this episode, you'll hear my interview with Julie K. Lane, Sustainability Associate Director at Northwestern University, and Dr. Gary Cooper, Adjunct Professor at Northwestern's Feinberg School of Medicine, and CEO, co-founder of Reapley Incorporated. In our conversation, you'll hear how Gary has leveraged his experience working in research laboratories to start up a company that is helping institutions better manage their laboratory surplus supplies and underutilized equipment. Julie will discuss how Northwestern University is piloting Reapley's platform as part of their broader sustainability efforts to reduce waste and increase reuse in their laboratories. On an editorial note, My intent with this conversation, as well as all of our podcast episodes, is to do a deep dive into a particular sustainability topic. I'm not intending to explicitly promote or endorse a particular company, but I also recognize that many cutting-edge ideas do exist in the private sector. In this particular case, I felt like Gary and his company, Reapley, have developed a novel approach to addressing some of the challenges at the intersection of waste and scientific research. I think you'll find this conversation clearly fits within the exploratory intent of the show, But I would welcome your feedback, especially as we consider interviewing other for-profit companies in future episodes. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy this January 31st, 2019 interview with Gary Cooper and Julie K. Lane. Julie and Gary, it's great to have you on the show today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, Julie, let's start with you. Can you give us a quick background on who you are and a bit about your work at Northwestern? Sure. Uh, My name is Julie Kaling, and I am the Associate Director for Sustainability at Northwestern University. My work at Northwestern centers on engaging our campus community in practices and behaviors that align with our campus strategic sustainability plan. And much of my work focuses on resource conservation, waste reduction, uh, recycling. Great. Um, Well, Gary, I'd I'd like to talk a little bit more about the innovative work you're doing at Reapley, but can you just give us a little background on who you are as well, and then we'll dive into Reapley here in a second. Yeah, so I'm Gary Cooper. I'm from Ohio, Dayton, Ohio, if anyone knows that place. Um, I did my undergraduate at Indiana University in Bloomington, um, BS in math, BA in chemistry, and then I came to Northwestern in 2008 and completed my PhD in neuroscience 2014 a postdoc thereafter, and now I'm an adjunct faculty member in Feinberg School of Medicine, as well as the CEO and co-founder of Reapley. Great. Well, let's start there. Maybe you can just give us a little pitch, an elevator pitch of what Reapley does and, and what we have to look forward to learning more about today. Yeah, uh, it's actually pretty simple. Reapley tries to help large organizations answer a singular question. Do we already have this? 
as an organization gets big, it's very hard for people to know if their colleagues might have resources that they could leverage, as well as it's hard for a large organization to understand resources that can be redeployed as opposed to going into a landfill. So Reapy tries to solve that problem through just better asset management. All right. So if I understand it correctly, you're talking about things like equipment and chemicals, and but not assets in the general sense of like a big organization. Is this mostly lab focused? That's how it started. We started, um, you know, I'm a scientist, so we kind of started in the lab. I was fortunate to work in a lab that was very well funded, but I had a lot of friends and colleagues who were in labs that were struggling from a financial perspective. So we started kind of just a research sharing program. Um, so it started about lab equipment and supplies, but now with clients ranging from universities to Fortune 500 companies to Fortune 10 companies, um, there's a lot of, you know, we kind of have the array of things on our platform now. Great. Well, Julie, so coming back to higher ed, since it's the focus of our podcast here, um, maybe you can give us a little bit of your perspective on, I know you've done a pilot with Reapley, and I know you deal with these issues generally. Like, What are the problems that institutions are facing around managing assets, in, maybe particularly in a lab or in general? Yeah, sure. Um, so Gary hits on uh, a lot of the words. Uh, the very first conversation I ever had with Gary, I was excited about Reapley because he he seemed he really got it. He understood the excess and surplus and waste issue from a laboratory setting, and in our conversation, really grasped uh, the kind of resource conservation perspective of reducing waste to the landfill, which can also help save cost. Um, so. Resource conservation is one of the five program areas covered in our strategic sustainability plan. And we've identified as an institution that we really need to reduce waste generation through our comprehensive review of both our procurement practices and our reuse practices, whether they exist or not. So expanding reuse programs like uh, what Reapley is trying to do uh, to extend the life cycle of our products within our campus uh, is, is definitely in line with that. It'll support our efforts to reduce waste and to decrease cost. Uh, we also need mechanisms to track progress in the areas. The two R's, reduce and reuse, are much harder to measure than recycle. And so historically, that's been a challenge. And Reapley is kind of bringing that potential both to the measurement and to the ability to potentially implement a surplus operation. Great. Well, thanks. Thanks for that, Julie. And Gary, maybe you can back up into how you got to start Reapley. I mean, how does one go from studying neuroscience to uh, a startup in this area? What's the story there? A, a, a question my mother always asks me as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the, the, the high-level story is um, during my research in the medical school at Northwestern, uh, me and a couple others started just kind of just internal re reuse program, which was really just a, amongst the people on our floor um, and what we would do is we would take things that we no longer needed in our lab, um, put on this cart, and I would essentially every week kind of just run the cart around the floor and say, hey, does anyone need X or Y or whatever we would have on the cart? And um, that started to pick up where it wasn't just the people on our floor who were interested. It would be people on floors above and people floors below. And so it became a, a small little thing. But it was extremely manual, right? So you have to place the things on the cart. You have to wheel it around. You have to see if people are there when you're there. Um, so there's a lot of improvements that obviously kind of a digital representation of the cart could deliver. And so that was kind of the leap 
if you will, from, oh, this is, there's something here um, to let me see if I can kind of put a business around this. And so um, that was kind of the first, I guess, birth problem statements of where, where Reapley is trying to solve today. So is this like a cart you took from the local shopping center that you kind of got past the security or was this a, like a, more of a, a pallet care? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> this is a cart that, that we used to carry mice around on. So it was pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Don't let my lab so, manager well, know about that. But yeah. So, um. <laughs> got it. You, you didn't do uh, um, unofficial reuse, I guess. That's good. Um, exactly. Well, so yeah. So it sounds like that that was the start. And then. Yeah, how did you go from there to deciding that this was worth a business then? Yeah, so the so I did uh, spend a couple years in kind of the corporate world, um, and so I started to make some contacts and obviously just learning a little bit more about uh, business models and how to start one. So I thought, you know, ha- um, the first thing is I need to figure out if this is a problem at Northwestern, if this is a problem at Feinberg, or if this is a systemic problem. And so one of the things that we we did was conduct a survey. We could conduct a survey amongst, I think, about 150 users at Northwestern. And what we found was kind of startling. We found that the problem that I was having in my lab was not my lab's problem. It was a, a pervasive problem across the university. And one thing that Julie could probably speak to is that Northwestern, at least at the time, was ranked in the top quarter of green universities in the country. So I knew that if it was a problem at Northwestern, it's probably also a problem throughout all universities that do high impact research. And so that was kind of justification enough for me to take the leap and do something that I think could impact both the environment and research science. Well, yeah, Julie, maybe you can speak to that. You know, you're thinking about this from the perspective of sustainability, not necessarily from the perspective of, you know, asset management, I I assume, right? That's not really your role per per se, but can you tell us how those things fit together from your perspective? Yeah, I think um, what you hit on is how they fit together. There's there's a great intersection between sustainability and um, responsible use of resources. We have a goal to re- increase our diversion rate to 50% by 2020, and reducing waste and increasing our diversion through reuse or recycling is how we're going to get there. We could use a Gary on every floor of every lab building <laughs> with a cart <laughs> and face-to-face engagement around reuse opportunities. Um, there may be even more Garys out there doing something similar, but as a sustainability initiative on campus, I never knew Gary was doing that. And you know, we, we what we need is an institutional platform for this. Opportunities for surplus infrastructure are limited on our campus for sure. State institutions generally have a state mandate that implements a a process and a program for managing surplus. I don't know that they always get down into the labs or that they're able to uh, have a lot of success in the labs, but at Northwestern, we don't have a very robust infrastructure. Barring having a Gary and a cart on every floor of every lab building pushing around and and hawking goods, uh, we could really use something that institutionalizes and streamlines this process or makes it a little easier. Um, A virtual platform is something that we identified. We did as part of our strategic sustainability plan. We did a very deep uh, dive waste audit across campus and we audited facilities based on their function. So lab buildings were part of that. And and out of that waste audit came uh, an integrated solid waste management plan, which is available on our website for anyone to see. And one of the things that was identified in there, a greatly seen need in our, as we sorted through the trash, was that the things get thrown out that shouldn't. There's a great need to reclaim. And so that's a sustainability perspective, but also a better asset management goal. 
available. So uh, we need a platform for surplus operations and for sharing and redistributing and repurposing items, uh, you know, on campus and within our own uh, communities across Northwestern. Well, yeah. What what is the range of what you're actually seeing, you know, Gary? Now that you have this system up and running, I mean, you had sounded like when you were wheeling your cart around the offices, it was mostly just surplus lab, like consumables, I assume, or maybe chemicals mm-hmm. or other things like that. You weren't probably wheeling around electronic microscopes or um, things like that. But what what do you see coming through your systems today? Yeah, it, it, uh, that's a great question, and I would say it, it buckets a little differently for universities than it would do, does for the industry. But um, from on the academic side, what we see is a lot of lab consumables. In fact, the way that we want to differentiate some of the stuff that you're doing at Reapley versus some other kind of asset management systems is we really want to dig deep in the consumables, plastics, glassware, um, things that don't have a barcode or you wouldn't create a barcode for, but things that are obviously going to generate waste but have a high value for redeployment. So I'll give you an example. If I take an antibody or parts of an antibody from a colleague, I've maybe just saved myself $300. They've also saved themselves from throwing something into biohazardous waste. And there's a cost to, you know, obviously disposing of that waste. So it's a kind of at least a twofold kind of win. And so we see a lot of, again, things that you would find in a laboratory that are on the consumable side. But we have things like uh, LED lamps, microscopes, um, surgical equipment, 3D printers. We have an array of other kind of heavier equipment from the laboratory as well. So Gary, tell, tell us a little more about the actual platform itself. So what would it look like if I was, uh, say, a researcher at, at Northwestern? What would I, when I logged into your system, what would I see? So what we try to create is we're trying to take asset management or resource management and make it as easy as possible. So when you would log in, it would almost look like a cleaner version of an eBay or Amazon. So you would kind of have these very typical shopping use cases, right? So either you would search for something that you're looking for in particular, or maybe you pick a category that you want to just kind of shop around for things that might be available when you're not looking for something in particular. So from a UI UX perspective, it looks very much like a, a standard marketplace. But again, it's, it's more like an internal inventory management tool. And then also the really cool thing that you can do on Reaply is that you can book time. So let's say a person has a piece of capital equipment but they are not using it uh, effectively or they're just underutilizing it because maybe the project that they are they bought it for has ended or has subsided. You can also allow people to like book an hour, book three hours or whatever, kind of like how you use like an open table to kind of book a restaurant. You can book time on someone's microscope. So you can also do those types of functionalities on Reaply. But the look and feel of it on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer is exactly how you would shop through like an eBay. Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. Let me, let me uh, play devil's advocate though for a second. And Julie, I'll, I'll direct this at you first and then we'll let Gary answer this as well. Uh, you know, it sounds great to get uh, these labs to reuse the materials and equipment and whatnot, but aren't those same materials and equipment, the critical tools they need to do their job? I mean, these are world-class researchers. Why do we need to bother them with worrying about the waste associated with their work? Or can you speak to that? So I think uh, in a university setting, I'm looking at it from, uh, you know, more global across the institution. And while our researchers are particularly busy and focused and doing amazing things, the resources of the institution still 
come into play in that big picture. So if labs can use uh, their resources, whether that's funding or supplies or goods, more effectively, it creates more opportunity down the road. So um, space is a premium, for instance, in labs, and especially on our campus where we're um, pretty tight. And so if you've got old equipment that you're not using or old supplies that you're not using, taking up space, that's a waste, not just from uh, a goods issue, but from a potential for laboratory research issue. So our uh, labs at our Office of Research Safety have looked at cleaning out labs as a way to regain critical space uh, to support greater research. So I think that's, that's one way to look at it. Uh, and also, you know, the labs are, whatever they're doing, they're functioning within this institutional setting. And the institution as a whole has priorities that the labs, you know, are, are, are part of. And so if we have a priority to reduce waste or reduce cost, the labs are, are part of that, just like a, a department um, or any other academic division would be. So focusing on or understanding their role in the big picture of the institutional setting is still important, uh, despite the fact that their work sometimes is, is separate from or very different from the rest of what's happening on campus, if that makes sense. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, well, Gary, so maybe a different pushback question for you, but um, mm -hmm. uh, I know we have mutual friend, uh, Allison Paradise, who I just saw at a conference yesterday, actually, or earlier this week, and she talks a lot about change management and just the challenges around mm -hmm. change management. I mean, it sounds like a lot of what you're doing here is uh, getting uh, scientists to change to, you know, to change their behavior. And one of the quotes I heard the other day, which gave me a chuckle was, um, you know, you can idiot proof things, but PhD proofing things is really difficult to do or something like that. I think I <laughs> that one. But uh, in any case, what, what kind of pushback are you getting from people trying to engage with this? What have you run into? Yeah. So, so, so some things that, I mean, they're, they're very typical for asset management systems. Sometimes uh, when people hear it's coming, they think, oh, we have to go label everything and, and re-inventory everything. And really, our platform is actually not meant to inventory everything. It's meant to inventory the things that are in surplus that have value, right? So the things that should not be thrown away, the things that people should understand that are available um, before they, one, go buy them again, before that person who owns it throws it away. So one thing is just kind of around the messaging around we're not an asset management system. We call it an asset exchange manager. We try to help exchange assets that are valuable or resources that are valuable within an organization. The other thing that I would say around the kind of thought about change management at the individual or the user level is indeed um, when you're when you're doing science, um, sometimes you don't think about am I using a certain asset or resource very valuably because you're, you're high impact, right? You're trying to get your next paper out and your next thesis out if you're a PhD student and so forth and so on. So the, one of the ways that we've tried to get at that is to incentivize the user themselves, right? So sometimes you can change behavior by saying, hey, user or hey, student, if you do something that's going to benefit the university, going to benefit your colleague and potentially benefit the planet, we want to do something for you, the user, not your lab, not the university, but you. And so we gamified our entire platform to kind of help give um, credit to the people who are who are doing things most uh, most uprightly, I would say. So those are those are some of the, I would say, kind of barriers that we we continue to have to think about and cross. But the really cool thing is that I think at the top of the list of the people 
who should be at the forefront of the sustainability movement are scientists, right? So I think from the idea of it might being a change of behavior, but we've only received high marks about it being a welcome new change. That's great. Speaking of the gamification, what, what kind of incentives do you offer? Is it um, you know pizzas or free antibodies? Or what, what is it that you're <laughs> we've done. In fact, we're having we're having a we're having a pizza party tomorrow. Actually, we throw a lot of parties. We talk about happy assets and happy resources. We're a happy company. Um, so no, we throw a lot of parties. Uh, but no, t- typically the. The prizes, it does vary between organizations, so it depends on how we, we partner. But our what we do standard is we typically send a $25 Starbucks gift card code. So we run a, let me step back, we run a continuous raffle. Um, and if you win that raffle, because again, you've been a little bit more sustainable, a little bit more cost-effective um, internally, we, um, we put you in this raffle. If you win, you get a $25 Starbucks gift card code emailed directly to you. And the really cool thing is that we're not managing it. The university or the institution that we're partnered with is not managing it. It's something that we've built out that just works. So what we also think about um, from a change management perspective is how do we design out many administrators and many uh many functional people who have to spend time in making this work. So one of the ways we do is we try to virtualize a lot of the things that are on our platform and the gamification is one. Great. So that, yeah, so the Northwestern doesn't have to manage this directly. Is that the idea? Nope. Or I mean, yep. or any university or, okay. No, no, no university. Nope. Uh, Julie, anything to add there? I- well, I will say Gary, I love the um, scientists should be at the forefront for sustainability change. I may uh, steal that and, <laughs> and use it. <laughs> Please, I believe it, and I'm sure you do too as well. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it is interesting. I think, I think one point is, um, you know, that you were kind of touching on is that the lab setting is fairly isolated, uh, and those the lab workers tend to have a lot on their plate, and considering waste and things outside of their research is always a challenge to uh, to break through mm-hmm. that. Um, you mentioned behavior change, David. That's the story of my life. And one of the most challenging things to do is to engage people in behavior change. So uh, anything you can do to incentivize them uh, is is really uh, hopefully going to help uh, shift, shift the needle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, how have you done that, Julie, other than I mean, some of those types of, is it gamification or what are the other techniques you've used to, for, you know, behavior change management in any context? You know, we don't necessarily have the resources for that, that gamification idea. So with us, it's about trying to engage folks in, in their setting and in what's important to them. Um, we have a green office certification program and that's a way for offices and individuals to really tailor sustainability to their specific group um, or setting. We are would like to have on our radar to implement a green lab program or green lab certification program. And we haven't kicked that off just yet, but really helping people see their own behaviors and impact on the institution and where there's touch points for sustainability uh, is the best way, I think, to engage folks that if you just talk about sustainability on an institutional setting, it's all kind of, that's not me. I don't do that. I don't impact it. Uh, But really finding what people are doing, what they're already doing and helping them see how that supports change at an institutional level uh, is, is one way that we engage folks to, to see the impact and the potential they have to uh, improve our sustainability efforts. No, that that's great. And I just got back from that conference and heard, um, 
uh, Alice in Paradise gave a panel on the Green Labs program that they run out of the, my Green Lab, which she was on our episode four, I think. I was struck by, you know, she she framed it as individual changes may not make that big of a difference by themselves, but in aggregate, when you think of all of the laboratories over the country, you know, the amount of waste, the amount of energy, the amount of, you know, just individual changes, they do add up. And uh, making that culture of change is, is really what they've been all about. So, um, okay, well, let's step back then. So let's try to frame what is the scale of what we're talking about. Like when we were talking about surplus, uh, I'm sure waste is much bigger because you're not you're not able to get rid of everything, right, Gary? I mean, people still have to throw away right. gloves and, uh-huh. and things like that. But what's the size of what we're talking about? Yeah, so uh, the data is still uh, young on the front because if you go to any CFO of a university, let's just, again, pick on academia, of a university and ask them how much of their assets, whether that be equipment or supplies a year, do they think that they don't use effectively or don't use at all? They won't have any good data around that either. We tried. Um, So what we did um, was we conducted a survey at Northwestern, and we just simply asked people in the actual lab spaces, how much of your budget do you think each year um, goes to wasted, meaning unused assets and resources. And we were able to get the number to be about 2.4%, which is really interesting because I think, generally speaking, the average lab has a supply budget of about $100,000 to $125,000 a year. So if you think about an aggregate, when you have thousands of labs at one university, the amount of money that's being generated to valuable surplus resources is significant. I know we've talked a little bit about the green win, which we are mission focused on, at least at Reapley and also at Northwestern. But there's also kind of the green wins from a dollars perspective. We think it's around 2.4%. But as we get more universities onboarded and kind of look at the data, we'll be able to hone that number in a little bit better. So that's 2.4% of supply budgets. That wouldn't include like, is that including equipment budgets? Yep. Like- big refrigerators and microscopes and stuff like that yes, as well? Or? Yes, yes, And And um, what's, what we haven't gotten down to, and maybe Julia have a little bit more data of this, or at least high-level thoughts about this, is some of those big pieces of equipment that pool electricity all day long aren't even being completely occupied, right? So if I start thinking about the amount of waste from an electric- electricity bill perspective, um, the number it probably exceeds w- what we've been able to calculate. Great. Yeah. Julie, anything to add there or any data you guys have collected out of your yeah. deep dive study? Yeah. So uh, in our waste audit, um, we saw that about 10% of the waste coming out of labs is lab plastics. And most of those are going to be those kind of small labwares. Um, I don't have a data point on whether they were still reusable or not, but we did see a lot of things that were still in the packaging, you know, still totally usable that just got pitched because, you know, probably because there wasn't an option for it or there wasn't any awareness of, you know, what else you could do with it. So, you know, if you look at the potential to reduce waste from laboratories from an institutional perspective by, you know, even 5%, labs make up a lot of waste. And so, so that's, that can be pretty significant. Gary mentioned the energy use from lab equipment, and that is definitely a significant draw on the overall consumption in an institution. Uh, things like refrigerators that are, or freezers, deep freezers that are being not properly used, not fully used, are creating a significant amount of waste. So if you look at 
the scope talking about equipment and equipment sharing and the sharing of a microscope. If, if labs were able to share freezers and or take things offline that they're not using or are old and inefficient, uh, it would significantly impact the energy use uh, on an institutional setting. All right. No, this is this is encouraging. And it sounds like both of you are getting at, in your own ways, ways to get at this problem. I suspect, though, that, you know, saving anything usually means disrupting a current business. Maybe, Gary, I'll throw this one at you first. This is a pretty major industry selling stuff to laboratories. I assume that people don't necessarily want people to reuse these things. <laughs> I, in fact, I've worked for, in a former life when I was a software developer, I remember setting up a, a shopping cart for a company that was selling reusable plastics for doing some scientific research. And, and, and the, the owner of the company basically said, yeah, we're just printing gold. I mean, these things are, are you know, they're pieces of plastic. We just make as many as we can and <laughs> sell as many as we can and hope they have to use a new one every time. Who are you going to make mad? And are they going to even notice that you're a threat? Or what, what do you think about well, that? Well firstly, I, well, firstly, I, on behalf of the whole scientific community, forgive you for your, for your sins. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> if I can speak on the behalf. So, yeah, I mean, if you're selling products or, or manufacturing products that happen to be on our platform, you don't like us. But that tension is always a tension between a primary vendor and a secondary marketplace, right? So, you know, people who are selling shoes don't want them to be sold also on eBay. We're aware of that, but I think they'll curb around in the future to kind of what we're doing. So I'm I'm holding out for their, for working with um, some of the big vendors. But one of the other things that we think about and face is there are a lot of different platforms for secondary equipment in particular in the scientific space. Whether you're talking about corporate liquidators who are selling equipment from pharmaceutical biotechnology companies, or just kind of just like the eBay version of science, there are several different platforms. And actually, it can be confusing as a scientist who's trying to purchase, like which platforms are legitimate, which one should I go to, and so forth and so on. Um, we enter a market that's kind of open from the supplies perspective and a company that's more mission bound around cost savings and, and waste diversion. But for sure, there are definitely other organizations doing kind of secondary marketplaces for scientific equipment. Yeah. So what what's stopping labs then from, you know, just going out to these other spaces? What is it different that about what you guys are doing than them just going out to these things? It sounds like part of it is the you're dealing with things beyond just the standard equipment that might end up in one of those marketplaces. But are there other things that differentiate Reaply from what they're doing? Yeah, great question. So the one major differentiator is we partner with the university. If your university is not a part of our client portfolio, someone at your university can't just post something on our platform. We try to establish a deep relationship with the institutions or organizations of which we're partnering. We align on their goals. We align on their expectations and parameters. And um, then we become a first touch point. So the idea would be, if I'm at a lab, where should I go post this or where should I go look for something? Oh, I should go use that thing Reaply that uh, I see a lot of flyers around about, right? So we're a lot more visible than some kind of random secondary marketplace for equipment. That's one big thing. The second is you see your colleagues on the platform. You have a profile page. People know what kind of science you're doing. We send around newsletters around sustainability. We send around newsletters when people in your university have published a new paper. So it's a little bit more social and it's a little bit more closer to you from a, I know these people on this platform as opposed to I'm buying something from someone in China. So those are one or two of the biggest differences, but there of course are others. 
Got it. And, you know, as we've been talking about this, we've used the term asset management, but I think we've also used the term like supply or, or surplus management. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like this is really more about surplus than it is asset management. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So there are, I think, as I, I sometimes say that asset management systems are commoditized. You can find one. If you just Google it, you'll have a million entries to kind of find one. Um, but there aren't great systems to manage surplus supplies. So if you think about a box that comes into a company and organization, it might be tagged and it might be tracked and listed on an asset management system. But when you open the box and take the supplies out and distribute the supplies, now if I don't use all the supplies, there's nothing tracking that I still have a little bit of the supply left. And so what we're trying to do is kind of fill that gap but not use the asset management tracking way to use the principles of like secondary marketplaces to connect people who have these little bits of things that they can share with others before throwing them away or before they buy it. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So it's, I I think we were joking about this in our prep call, but I have a, um, a pile of records in my office and the wham record in my pile of records is not tracked on my insurance uh, asset list anywhere. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, so, but, but, but it was part of the, the asset tracking system of the record company back in 1986 or whenever I bought the thing. Right. So, um, okay. Well, what else, I know we've talked a little bit about, um, some of the pushback and some of the challenges, but it sounds like there's issues around, what you can do with things that you buy in a scientific setting. So if you're a scientist, you buy this equipment, you may not be able to sell it um, or, or you might have to sell it. So Gary, can you speak to some of those challenges that you run into with this type of thing? Yeah. So the, the federal, there are federal and state obligations and some of those state obligations, of course, are different for each state that you go to. But generally speaking, states adopt the federal guidelines. The federal guidelines are both clear and non-exhaustive. Um, so the clear part is that if you have an item that's worth $5,000 or less at a retail value, the government says that the PI or the principal investigator has plenary authority to move it around how are they best see fit, whether that's to another lab, to another lab in the university, um, throw it away, or to another lab outside the university. Once the item gets above $5,000, especially to $25,000, generally speaking, the federal guidelines to make the university have to be in a party to that type of decision. And then once it's over $25,000, the federal government itself has to be party to the decision. So that's kind of generally speaking, how the the kind of rules, but really there aren't a lot of rules, quite frankly. The government wants people to share, wants people to collaborate for obvious reasons. And um, so the cool thing is we've built Reaply around those those federal guidelines and parameters. So even if you unwittingly post something of $10,000, we take care to make sure that you don't get into any federal trouble. Got it. Yeah, Julie, do you have anything to add from, from your perspective? Yeah, I think... Um Gary's outline of the federal guidelines uh, demonstrates that that those are pretty, you know, specific. And even if they're sometimes vague, there's a lot there. And so I think in a lab setting, they're focused on those guidelines. So institutional guidelines or me trying to jump in and say, hey, you should post those pipettes you're not going to use on, you know, this replay site like that that's a challenge to get them beyond the, these very strict, you know, federal rules. So I think, 
getting the attention of a lab uh, or anyone on campus really, but the attention of a lab is, is can be even more challenging. I mentioned before that labs are often just very isolated and focused on their own work. So this kind of platform, when we can institutionalize it, make it, a, even though the university doesn't have to manage it or run it, but make it a university uh, program, I think that really helps get across some of those barriers of reaching, engaging, and getting labs to retain the message and the idea that you're sharing in light of all the other, um, you know, stringent guidelines that they're trying to follow when it comes to surplus or assets. Yeah, so that sounds good. Using a, using this platform to try to get people beyond some of those um, barriers and just getting people to pay attention sounds great. But Julie, now that you've worked in this space, I know Gary's done a little bit more, worked with more institutions, but from your perspective, what other advice would you give institutions thinking about putting a program together like this? So I think kind of pulling a few things together is a platform such as Reaply has the potential to do this we talked before about engaging people in understanding why these efforts are important and how their their individual impact matters and adds up across the board. So I think as you look at any kind of surplus management, engaging labs around these, figuring out your message and tailoring it in a way that helps users understand and embrace the value of you know this behavior change that you're engaging them in uh, is important understanding how you're going to engage people in using the platform. I think, uh, I don't think Gary would disagree. That's one of our challenges in this uh, pilot project at Northwestern. How do we make sure people are aware of this and, and using it and coming to it? Uh, and I also think one thing that's important that I don't think we really touched on is the metrics. Um, what are you measuring and tracking through using something like this, whether it's Reaply or, you know, your own surplus operation and, and, are the things that you can track things that support institutional priorities and or that provide useful information on the success of that effort or efforts that you are looking at university-wide. So I'd say those are things to think about as you move forward with anything, any project like this. You know, we didn't really get into the pilot project. Can you just give us a brief overview of what that is and, and what you've been, I think you've spoken to the, some of the learnings you've had out of it in the last statement, but just tell us a little more about the pilot. So, yeah, I think it, Gary can talk a little bit more about the outcomes, but uh, I'm thrilled that the Feinberg School of Medicine stepped up to pilot this effort. Uh, with so much lab-centered work in the School of Medicine, it's a great place to figure out what works, where the obstacles are, and how we're going to overcome them. Uh, I think we have a lot of challenges still to, to figure out and how we're going to really get people to use this in a robust way and, and really make it work. Uh, obviously, you know, the more people use it, the better it is and the greater a resource it is. So my hope is that Reaply's efforts will, one, increase awareness engagement and engagement around waste and opportunities for reuse in labs, and two, demonstrate to the institution that this is feasible and can work and can be a benefit to the institution as a whole, as well as the labs and the users themselves. Gary, why don't you give us an overview from your perspective? Yeah, so from our perspective, uh, we have internal KPIs that we try to track and kind of make sure that a university is getting a lot of value out of both our technology um, and the program that we're trying to virtually install, um, as well as they just like working with us. It, uh, you can't undercut kind of the, the customer's success or service of that. Beyond that, we like to see real numbers, right? So we like to Think of things in three buckets. Are we helping a university divert waste? How much? Um, are we helping a university 
save money, how much? And are we helping to draw a university closer together or so-called collaborate? So we kind of have metrics that we track, but we, we, as Julie was kind of pointing out, we want to align our platform and our, and in this case, our pilot success with what priorities the university itself wants to see. That ranges from the different universities that we've partnered with, that ranges from what they want to see. But internally, we try to look at those, those three metrics as kind of what we think are value, valuable. Okay, great. I've got a couple more questions for you. This one, um, give this one to Gary. You've been on this journey of trying to build a platform. And as an entrepreneur, I know how challenging that can be. And it, getting people to pay attention to something that you've put your heart and soul into figuring out. Yes. But <laughs> along the way, so, yeah, where have you had aha moments or maybe the inverse, the O, you know, moments? Yeah. So um, I will, I'll start with the last one first of the question. So where we had the O moments. So what I will say is it is not easy understanding how to move resources around a university, it's even harder to figure out how to move resources between universities. We had to spend a lot of legal money, a lot of time and patience, because a lot of this stuff is just not written down anywhere, um, and trying to figure out structures that protect us as a business, but also protect our clients as institutions. Um, so that's you know some a bit of work that I didn't imagine going into this venture that we had to Put together, and we're still, quite frankly, learning. The aha moment is every every scientist I've spoken with, and it's been two and a half years that we have the business. I've spoken to scientists in London, and Canada, and Mexico, and every corner of the United States. I think I've been to over seventy different universities and spoken about Reapley. One of the things I think one hundred percent of the time I hear is, "Why did I think of this?" Right, and and just in some like base level of there's something here we should keep working and keep striving is the fact that resoundingly people who have been in a lab understand exactly what we're doing and they get it and they want it to be, they want it to work. So that's what keeps us going, even though there are sometimes legal or regulatory challenges that we have to understand or help the government write itself, which we actually are. We are motivated and inspired by the the kind of collective voice that we've heard from the scientific community that something like this should exist. And we're glad that someone's trying to take it on. Great. Julie, question for you along the same lines would be, and maybe I'll ask this one to Gary as well, would be, let's say that these efforts are wildly successful. Can you paint a picture for us of what this looks like, say, five years from now, 10 years from now? How do labs operate differently than, than they do today? Oh, wow. Um, so I would love to see that in the future labs are just a little bit more in touch with the inventory they have, the waste they're generating. And instead of, oh, we need to make space, we have a new researcher coming in, let's just wipe that entire stock of stuff that's stored over there uh, on the lab bench into the trash bin and move on to have them engage uh, and be aware of what they have on a regular basis and using a system, some system for surplus uh, on an ongoing as opposed to a, oh, you know, oh no, we have to make space. We have to get rid of this stuff right now. Uh, just doing it on a more timely fashion and being aware on a daily basis. That's what I would hope to see in the future. Um, lab users, lab managers, PIs, 
you know, instead of having a closet full of old junk that nobody knows what's in there, they're more up to date uh, and up to speed on what they have, what they need, whether something they've outgrown something or, you know, moved beyond a particular uh, supply item and be more aware of the idea of sharing resources. I think scientists are you know, talk about collaboration when it comes to research itself, but to have them talk about collaboration when it comes to the tools to support research would be a huge win and a, an improvement in, in awareness and understanding of their role in the bigger institutional setting. Yes, they can look at this bottle of um, alcohol and say, does this bring me joy? And then decide what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, that's a great answer. Well, it would, I'm sorry. It would, it would bring me joy if they did if they did what I described. <laughs> well, this brings Julie so joy, I, yes. I wouldn't right, have well, to throw them out. <laughs> that's great. Gary, what, what about you? What, where do you see this going in a you know, longer – you're wildly successful. I mean, other than you sell the company and um, could move to Tahiti or something, mm-hmm. I suppose. It's probably in that mix too. But what, what else no, do you see as no, the No of selling thing? of the company. I'll be in Chicago, um, even if it's wildly <laughs> successful. <laughs> Um, no, so our, our vision is pretty clear. We want to enable, um, not just in academic labs, but also in K through 12 settings, also in corporate America. We want people who want to be sustainable, who want to help their organization purchase smarter, be able to do so, right? So we want to empower, in fact, our mission statement is empowering professionals to save money and save the environment. We, we hope that our tool is a place that people can come and say, do we already have this and get an answer? Or does someone need it and get an answer? That's what, that's how I would measure our success five years from now. Um, and we are dogged about trying to get there. Fair enough. All right. Well, as we're wrapping up, it's it's been fun hearing about all the innovation you guys have been working through. And I'm, I'm doing this podcast. It's been really fun for me just to you know, stick my head into all these crazy corners of sustainability. I mean, this is not one I really had ever really thought about. So it's been fun for me to learn about it. Julie, it's been fun to see how your university is taking this on as a test and, and experimenting with it and, and, you know, working with a startup company. That's, that's great. And, and Gary, it's, it's really fun to hear of somebody going after uh, an entrepreneurial venture like this. I, I like hearing people trying to make a living at saving the world, which I certainly am in that camp as well. But um, any final thoughts you either of you would like to leave us with today? Maybe Julie, I'll start with you as we wrap this up. I think um, my one thought, and this is kind of a win that I've seen in, in working with Gary is that any idea or new and new program, new project, if you can start the conversation around how that, that thing, that project, that program fits within the bigger institutional goals, you know, particularly your sustainability goals. And if you can find partners who are willing to talk through how that fits, um, I think you've heard Gary say a few times, you know, wanting to meet goals uh, within the institution. And my first conversation with him, it was, it was a lot of fun talking about, here's the metrics that I look at from a sustainability standpoint and a waste standpoint. Here's the metrics they look at from their standpoint and how do we merge those two and how do we uh, integrate so that 
that we really can uh, see how this effort supports the institution. Uh, I think that's that's what's exciting to me about uh, a new a new program like this is is working together with an outside vendor and coming up with ways that it's it's good for all of us and it fits seamlessly into into the institutional goals. Great. No, I'll take that to heart as well. That's that's great advice, uh, Gary. What what do you have for us as final thoughts here? Final thoughts. I think that if you have a an idea um, that's big and bold and not really being addressed, um, you should do it, but you can't do it alone. Um, you have to establish a team that is way smarter than you and everything, but then you also have to find the right partners um, in the market, whether they, in this case, be at an institution, um, the right administrators who care, uh, who want things to be different. And so what we've been lucky to, to run into with Northwestern and, and all of our university partners is are, are people who want the world to be a little bit different, at least the world that they operate in, and they are willing to figure it out with us. And so that's been really, really uh, powerful to work with. And I, I imagine over the next year, we'll be making a lot of success uh, happen with the, the places that we're, work, we're operating in. Well, great. I really appreciate the both of your time today. I know it's a very, very chilly day in Chicago. Hopefully you're warm and cozy in your house. And thanks for sharing all these thoughts with us today and coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. That's it for this episode. To learn more, you can always see the show notes at our website at campusenergypodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at Energy Podcast. This show is a free service, but if you'd like to support the show, please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes or just telling a friend about the show. As always, thanks for listening.